Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Wednesday, January 25th. I'm wearing my Piedmont Lithium hat, not the Rockstock Channel hat. We're interviewing Keith Phillips. I don't know, for the third or fourth time. It's been over a year, though. We had your Chief Operating Officer, Patrick, in November. We are an advisor to an investor in Piedmont Lithium for a very long time. You've now been there more than five years as the CEO, Keith, but I remember calling you around this time, March of 2017. We were doing a seed funding round for WCP Resources, which has since become Piedmont. And you very kindly wrote a check into that $5 million financing at nine cents and about a 10 million market value. And then over the course of the next three or four months, you did what I consider an M&A bankers-like due diligence on the lithium space because you didn't know very much, which included actually going to the Fast Markets Lithium Conference in Quebec. Everyone was laughing about Quebec. People were laughing about North American lithium. You know, Rodney had a comment that people were laughing that material from there might ever end up in a Tesla. And uh, you just started the year signing that agreement. But I want to focus this interview on you as a deal maker, but also as a company builder, because when I called you, you were a banker and it's been quite a journey, but it really still is just kind of beginning. Just tell us a little bit about this journey. Rodney and I visited North Carolina in November together and met a whole bunch of your staff in Belmont. I separately went to Quebec to see the Sayana, you know, in progress with a whole bunch of sell side and buy side, you know, analysts. I think that was in November. The company is is very significant. If you could just summarize the journey from 2017 to, to here in terms of deals and in terms of people building the individual, you know, components of value at Piedmont. Sure. Well, thank you, Howard and Rodney. Always good to be with you guys. Very much appreciate your support over the years. Uh, you're right. You called me when I was sitting on my sofa in Florida in February 2017. You tried to persuade me to take a hard look at the lithium industry, and I was at the time very skeptical. I'm now very bullish. That bullishness has developed over the last six years. So I joined Piedmont July 2017. I was the first employee. They were couple founders, Tazo Arima and Lamont Leatherman, who you know well. We built a team. We now have 46 people. We'll probably have 70, 75 on the payroll by the end of the year. And we started in North Carolina. As some of your viewers will know, all the lithium in the world essentially came from North Carolina from the 1950s to the 1980s. There's a prolific mineral belt there called the Carolina Tin Spodgemeade Belt. We're the biggest landowner on that belt now. We have a big mineral resource. We'll ultimately build a big integrated lithium Spontamine concentrate to lithium hydroxide business there. We're very excited about that. Along the journey is we started to spend time with customers, big car companies, big battery companies, and cathode companies. We increasingly heard that Carolina seemed interesting. You know, the more scale we could build as a company, the more interested they would be in us. These car companies and battery companies are investing tens of billions of dollars in electrification. They need a lot of lithium. Uh, a single plant in North Carolina would be nice. But somebody who could be a bigger factor would be more important to them. So around the same time, we were having discussions with people like Sayana about bringing spodumene concentrate into the U.S. And a light bulb went off and it, it dawned on us that you know being just a converter to produce more lithium chemicals in the U.S. was interesting. But, but really with so much of the economic value in the mine and in the mineral resource, we could be an investor in world-class mineral resources in different parts of the world and bring those into North America, into the North American hydroxide 
across that market. We can develop more scale and create more value. We made a really astute investment in Sayana about 24 months ago now. We bought 19.9% of Sayana Mining. We bought 25% of their Abitibi region project all for 12 million US dollars. That was just really a fortunate deal from our perspective. Good for them as well. Positioned both of us jointly to acquire North American lithium out of receivership later that year. And then we made a, a similar investment in Atlantic lithium alongside a uh, offtake for 50% of their project in Ghana, which we're really excited about. We're in an industry where there's been some consolidation. You know, the Chinese have picked off some assets here or there, but there aren't really many companies in the public market that have been consolidating. And we sort of see ourselves in that vein. We have the great advantage of being an American company based in Belmont, North Carolina, what we think will be the fastest growing electric vehicle and lithium business geography in the world uh, with the benefits of wonderful support from the federal government and other governments. Everyone around the world is trying to get into this market. We're based here. We're housed here. It's a big advantage. And we think we can build a real enterprise from this location. That's great. I mean, Tesla put you on the map Battery Day, September 2020, a deal was announced. Your stock went from, I don't know, $6 to $60. There was one day it traded you know $2 billion. And that was like a very significant moment. You did this deal in January of 2021. So just a couple of months after that, you raised some money. I forget exactly at what price. I think $50 million, like right after that. You raised a bit more money at $70 in March of 2021. But before you did that, I think it was January, you've made this investment in Sayana at 0.0092. Okay. So less than a penny, right? The stock's at 24 cents. So it really, like nobody cared about Sayana. Sayana had plans to buy North American lithium, but the time that you invested in them, that was no guarantee. So could you talk through a little bit, like what happened from that time to investment to the time you actually won and helped Sayana win? North American lithium, which only took place, I think, nine months later, because that is the, the key new supply that's coming imminently. Yeah. So the background to the Sayana relationship is interesting. It started with the relationship I had with James Brown, who's a director of Sayana, former CEO of Altura. James put me in touch with Brett Lynch, the CEO of Sayana. Sayana's core business at the time was a project called OTA in the Abitibi region of Quebec near Val d'Or. Great location, close to rail, the best located asset other than our own in North Carolina to bring material into the U.S. for the battery business. So we developed a nice dialogue with Brett and team around offtake where Piedmont would bring spodumene concentrate from Quebec into the U.S. And that discussion evolved. And as it evolved, Brett let me know what his vision was for Sayana in Quebec, which was pretty impressive. He, he had a vision that Quebec would be a major player in the spodumene business. I think everyone agrees with that. The opportunity was lacking a consolidator. He saw an opportunity for Sayana with the right capitalization and partnership to be that consolidator. Uh, he needed capital. Sayana's market cap was 20 million Australian. Uh, there was an opportunity to buy the most advanced lithium project in North America, which was right down the road. It was, it was uh, mired in receivership, which was the North American lithium plant. Had been operated a couple of times previously built at the cost of $400 million seven or eight years earlier, and really ready for somebody to come in, fix it up, improve it, and get it ready for the market. And that was a competitive process. Sayana with a 20 million market cap wasn't really in a position to compete effectively financially. We had the benefit of the you know, wind at our back uh, with that te earlier Tesla optic agreement. We had a billion dollar market cap. 
we had some cash on our balance sheets from some fundings that we had done. So we are in a position to help fund money into Sayana and to partner with them to help join, become a stronger bidder in the NAL process. It all worked out very well. We acquired, again, 19.9% of the company and 25% of the Abitibi belt, essentially OTA, for um, uh, 12 million US dollars. We then teamed up in August 20. 20 and acquired North American lithium out of bankruptcy at a price that was, you know, some viewed at the time as steep. Lithium prices were just starting to rise. I mean, today, obviously, we're deeply in the money, not that we would ever sell that asset. It's a great asset. It's a big asset. It's uh, the best located lithium asset we think in all of Canada. It's the most advanced by far in North America. It's going to be uh, production should start in the next several weeks, uh, a couple months. And, uh, and we think it'll be kind of a, a mainstay in the lithium business for the next couple of decades in North America. Okay. I want to go to your slide deck from November on page 12. You have the elements of value here and show your various project interests, but the graph you have here on the impact of your Siona offtake agreement from an EBITDA perspective. Yeah, it's a good offtake agreement. When they signed the agreement, you know, the idea was we were going to fund money into Sayana. We were going to become a customer for essentially half the material from OTA and, and whatever else they built in that region. So we do have an agreement where we will buy, Piedmont will buy as the biggest customer, the greater of 113,000 tons a year of spodumene concentrate or 50% of production. It's a life of mine deal. And we'll pay market subject to a floor of 500 and a ceiling of 900. So today we'd be buying it for 900 and on selling it to someone or when our Tennessee plant's up and running, we'll be buying it at 900, bringing some of that into Tennessee. I guess it's not inconceivable. The price might one day be below 500 a ton and we'd be suffering that floor. I think that's some time away, if ever, uh, given demand for lithium. But yeah, it's a, a deal that's turned out to be very favorable. In many respects, it looks a little bit like a mineral stream, like you'd see a wheat and precious metals or one of the royalty companies do. That has great value. The charts intended to show if we were to realize a price of 900, 1900, 2900, et cetera, how much cash flow would we generate in simple terms from the offtake agreement versus how much we generate as a 25% of the holder in the JV? The offtake agreement's worth a lot. We do have an agreement with Tesla to sell uh, approximately half of our share of that material. Starting later this year, we're talking to others about offtake for the rest of the material. I know the team at Sayana is talking to some folks about the joint venture material and offtake for that. So we'd love to have all the material for NAL kind of committed by the end of March with blue chip parties in the industry. I have these bodrum and concentrate price being largely flattish and then tapering off till the end of the decade and being just above $2,000 a ton. And my NPV on the offtake arrangement alone was about 1.8 billion US dollars. So substantially higher than the market cap now purely for the offtake. Given Albemarle's recent presentation, I guess one could argue that 2000 Dollars a ton is too low in 2030 and onwards. That's the number. And I guess that's why I felt if North American lithium can execute on bringing a product to market, and, and Keith, that was a question I had for you, is what is expected to be the standard product that's produced in terms of grade and impurities uh, out of NAL? Yeah, we haven't disclosed that. It'll, be, it'll, it'll certainly be a market acceptable product. But I think we feel good about A, the ramp there, B, the product quality, see the ultimate nameplate capacity, which I think in the pre-feasibility study was 168,000 tons a year. I expect it'll be higher than that. I expect some to work done on the mineral resource. I think we think the mineral resource looks better and better going forward, frankly. And there's not a customer in the world that's looked at the material that hasn't said they want it, at least that we've spoken to. So we feel really good about that. Some of the big smart 
long only investors are saying, Keith, these are great projects. We want you to build them. But if you wait an extra quarter or two, you generate an extra 100 or two or 300 million of cash flow from Quebec, it'll make the funding that much more efficient. And I think that's something we're thinking hard about now. Definitely. Spodgeming software, you look at Pilbara's, you know, cash flow generation, it was a billion dollars, I think, you know, in the most recent quarter. So absolutely. Could you talk about the carbonate thought process at Sciona Quebec? Because uh, a lot of Sciona shareholders, you're talking here just about, you know, Spodgeming and and the offtake is great, but they're very interested to, you know, move downstream as soon as possible. So, and I noticed your offtake with Tesla is kind of two and a half years with a potential to extend it, but that potential to extend also depends on whether or not you're integrating the carbonate. Yeah. So just help us understand the thought process from Piedmont's perspective on, you know, will Sayana and Piedmont, you know, be vertically integrated in a few years? Yeah. Listen, when we went into Quebec, we went with a very strong view that we want to one day produce lithium hydroxide in Quebec. Um, lithium chemicals in Quebec, but we we obviously, as you know, Howard, have a real focus on hydroxide. The NAL facility comes with a sort of partially built, partially completed carbonate refinery, uh, which, you know, obviously we looked at when we bought it. We didn't attribute really at the time any value to it. It's sort of uh, an opportunity, but there was no value attributed to it. We really were investing in the ore body and investing in the concentrate facility. We're working with Sayana on a pre-feasibility study to kind of rebuild and slash restart that carbonate refinery. That pre-feasibility study, I think, is due in March, uh, say March, April. Hatch is working on that. They have a lot of expertise in the area, a lot of familiarity with that plant. So we're working hard on it. We're looking hard at it. I will also make the point, there's a lot of other spots meeting in Quebec, including within Sayana with their mobile end asset, potentially, uh, certainly Namaska, James Bay, Critical Elements, Patriot, you know, Winsome, lots of folks looking for resources. I think you'll see Quebec be a big spodumene producer in the 2030s. Most of the projects will take that long and ultimately a big hydroxide producer. We're definitely going to be part of that. We're very committed to that. That's great color. Australia no longer dominates the trade in PLL stock, but uh, you've seen a lot of Australian spodumene stories, you know, re-rate. And I think there's some maybe not full understanding of what's happening. I mean, you're you're imminent producer. I mean, the Pierre Lisson chart that shows like stocks re-rate as they're moving into production. You've seen that in Cyana stock. You've seen that in Sigma stock. And you have a chart actually here. I'm going to put this up valuation consideration where you compare yourself to Sayana, to Core, Liontown, Lack, Sigma. But I think there's a thought that, oh, you know, you're just going to be producing spodumene for two years, three years. So you can't really value that spodumene stream as that economic value because you'll suddenly just make a decision to produce carbonate. The disproportionality between Sayana and yourself on that offtake agreement will just like magically go away. It doesn't sound like that's, it's an if not a when on the carbonate. And if you don't know, you may as well just analyze you as a spodumene producer, at least for four years is what you were describing. So two points. Let me let me talk about Australia and let me talk about how I think people might think about value for Piedmont. So first of all, we are listed in Australia. We were an originally an Australian company because our asset, our core asset at the time is in the US. Our team is American. We decided to redomicile to become an American company. We've kept our listing in Australia. We always will. Australia is a really important mining market. It's a particularly important spodumene market. Uh, at the margin, you know, the average investor in Australia has been thinking about spodumene a lot longer than the average investor in New York or Boston. 
So they're very knowledgeable. They have a lot of companies to look at. And I'm really excited. I used to go four times a year. I haven't been since COVID, so I'm overdue. That valuation page was really intended to address, you know, people ask me all the time, Keith, why do you think your stock is so cheap? And and I'm, I'm like, well, thank you for recognizing that I think our stock is cheap because I think it's really, I think it's, I think the valuation doesn't make a lot of sense. So in that deck, I've got a couple of pages. I really, I, I start by introducing the, the concept of enterprise value. So that's, as you know, Howard, that's your market cap, basically plus your debt or minus your net cash, whatever. What's the net value the market's attributing to your enterprise, to your business you own? Okay. So in our case, it's seven or $800 million. And in other cases, and you mentioned some of them, Core, Sayana, Liontown, a few U.S. listed companies, the numbers are considerably larger. And then what do you get for that six or seven or 800 million? Will you get the Sayana investments, the Atlantic investments, 100% of Tennessee, 100% of Carolina. And on top of that, you have this Octa agreement, which Rodney thinks is worth a billion eight. So if you if you add all that up, it's a lot bigger than six or seven or 800 billion. So it's a frustration for me. I think with respect to how to value you know, the offtake agreement, I think what I would say is this, listen, we want to go downstream in Quebec. We're working on going downstream in Quebec. We'll see how that all develops. That There's not a decision there for at least a couple of years. And I think what I'm focused on right now is, is making sure that asset gets up and running, making sure we can make some good deliveries to good customers under our offtake agreement, generate some cash flow, which will, like, will drive our, our shareholder value, but also drive our cash balance to allow us to do the other things we want to do. And in due course, you know, we'll all figure out what might happen uh, in terms of going downstream. We were just checking the stock. We're approaching $70. So since the beginning of the year, the stock's performed well. But in March of 2021, which was still near the bottom of lithium prices, your stock price was $70 and you raised $123 million. A year later, March 2022, you raised another $131 million at $65. So actually a slight down round. Are you planning to raise any capital in the near term? And what's your cash balance? And there's so many companies in Spodromy in particular that have hit all-time highs and broke through higher highs. Why are our viewers able to buy your stock at the same price as two years ago when you're on the cusp of producing and have three other assets that are for free? That is the $64,000 question. It is frustrating that our stock hit, hit the 80s, I believe, two years ago when when lithium prices were, lithium prices are up six or eight or 10x from that point. We've added two fantastic assets, three including Tennessee. I think our enterprise is dramatically more valuable than it was then, but that's what makes the market and it provides an opportunity for people. So short answer to your question is we don't have any plans to raise capital. We're fortunate that we did the financings you talked about. So we raised about 120 million net in March, 2021, about 120 million net in March, 2022. We used some of that money for the investments in Sayana and Atlantic and North American Lithium. And then we've been advancing our projects. But until we build a project, we don't have much in the way of external funding requirements. We will, you know, at some point be spending real money to build Tennessee. We'll be spending real money to build Ghana. We'll be spending real money to build Carolina. But until that happens and, and the range of funding options available for us for those is really exciting. So we do have a $142 million grant. We were awarded from the Department of Energy in Washington, and we have an opportunity to tap other interesting capital markets. So one of our friendly competitors, the group at INEAR just announced a $700 million ATVM loan for their project in Nevada. Congratulations to them. We have applications in for uh, Carolina and Tennessee, which would together exceed a billion dollars. We're very optimistic. We'll be recipients of ATVM loans as well. So we're really lucky. We have you know exciting projects in front of us, but between the cash we have now 
the cash flow we expect from Quebec, the grant and ATVM loans, and maybe some prepayments from some customers. Uh, I think it's possible. Okay, that's that's very helpful. And you touched on some points I want to get to. So you're applying for ATVM loans. That's from the loan programs office. That's what Jigger Shaw controls. But you received a grant, which is essentially free money of $142 million, also from the Department of Energy. But an Albemarle also received a grant for their Kings Mountain to concentrate spodumene, not for the mining, but for the actual concentrating of the spodumene. They received a grant. So could you talk about just from a U.S. government funding point of view, this is independent of the, the tax incentives through the tax code, which you're going to have great benefits from. But how could you get both a loan and a grant for Tennessee? I thought they were either or. Well, listen, the U.S. government is all in. And uh, to buy, it's, there's really bipartisan support for the idea that relying on China for our future energy sources, essentially batteries and the materials that go into batteries, is just not a good idea. And the current administration has been very aggressive in advancing some policies that are really pro-U.S. battery material development. So with the bipartisan infrastructure law, there was $7.5 billion set aside to grant funds to projects that were worthy. Tennessee Lithium Project was a recipient. Separately, the uh, ATVM, the Advanced Technology Vehicle Manufacturing Loan Program, has been in place for well over a decade, but there'll be a lot of money there. And uh, there's money with the Defense Production Act. There's opportunities everywhere. The tax credits are very significant. On the one hand, they're going to drive EV demand by extending and making more relevant the tax credit for a purchaser of an EV, you or me, or or some other American consumer. Uh, so that'll help drive demand for EVs. Not that we really need that help right now, but as the industry grows and more and more people convert to EVs, making them that much more economical is a good thing. Certainly it's going to drive lithium demand. And then the advanced production tax credit, provision 45X is a 10% of our production cost tax credit for the life of the project in Tennessee. That's very significant. Can you walk through the math of that 10% tax credit as far as you understand because I, I, as i see it that that there's a whole host of things that are aimed at leveling the playing field vis-a-vis -vis china right because china government supports a lot through various types of activity and this seems to be matching that right one is to give you free money one is to loan you money and which needs to be repaid and then thirdly this is just something it's, it's a tax rebate that fundamentally should lower your operating costs. I mean, people think, oh, it's more expensive to to operate in America than in China. What's the math of that tax credit as far as you've ascertained so far? Here's the way I would characterize the credits. So it's one thing for the government to grant money or loan money and use capital for their ends. I think it's, I think it's worthy. We're very proud to be a recipient of the grant. We're eager applicant for loans and will be. And I think that's important. The credit is very different. It doesn't cost the government anything unless we go spend a billion six to build Tennessee and Carolina, employ six or 700 people between the two of them, pay, have those individuals and the service businesses around us pay lots and lots of taxes. If all that happens and we're profitable and we have a tax liability, there'll be a credit against that tax liability. I think it's a really clever way for the government to incentivize development. You know, it's not entirely clear how it'll work yet for us, but we expect taking it at face value that we would get 10% of our production costs as a credit against taxes otherwise payable. Okay, Rodney, you want to dig in into Atlantic and Tennessee and how you modeled it as well? I think it's fair to say the Atlantic modeling is a work in progress because there seems to be so much scope to grow that resource. 
your thoughts on where the mineral resource estimate can that just be a gift that keeps on giving? Well, listen, it's a massive land package. It's a mineral rich country. So I my, my guess is Atlantic, that entity that controls that will be making discoveries in Ghana for years and years and decades to come, perhaps. So I think uh, it's a wonderful resource. It's really well located, as you know, relative to the to infrastructure, including a major port, power. So we're very excited. The real question will be with the resource that will grow and could grow further, is there potential for you know throughput increases? And uh, so that was my next, my very next question is, is yeah. you know, the, at some point in time, if the mineral resource estimate grows materially, would one look to increase throughput and, and production given how tight the market is? Yeah, I know the Atlantic team is working on the DFS. So the plan is to release an updated mineral resource estimate in February or March, a DFS mid-year. I'm sure they're looking at scenarios. I know they're looking at different scenarios for different throughput amounts. I, I'm with you. I mean, on the one hand, longer life is better for a lot of reasons. On the other hand, we're in a market where I think we're going to have a really, really fantastic decade in the lithium market. We're sort of currently at around 10% EV penetration globally. Very few people were projecting that we'd get to 10% in 2022. Most people thought that'd be 2025. People are now talking about 20% in 2025 and 50 or 70 or 80 in 2030-35. But between now and then, it's going to be very exciting. And maximizing production between now and then seems to make sense to me. You know, we're committing a lot of capital to these projects, and you really want to maximize net present value. You're building a multiple asset company. You know, Lithium Americas is a multiple asset company, although they're splitting off You know, into into two. You also said when we started, you thought that this would be so obvious for Albemarle and Livent that like you would build, you know, Carolina to a certain stage and, and then maybe there would be, you know, some sort of um, competition or bidding war, you know, between those two majors. North Carolina is now very much in their sites. They're talking about a mega flex site of 100,000 tons of hydroxide. They seem very much to be following you <laughs> and Piedmont a little bit, but but the vision of five years ago or six years ago that this would happen, the battery plants would come, the cathode plants would come, and then album all would redo Kings Mountain. It's all happening. The question, I guess, within this is your team. You said you're now 40 people. Rodney and I had an opportunity to sit down with Chris McVeigh and Monique Parker and Aaron Sanders. You know, you have some new board members and you also announced those two new hires in Tennessee. So just as a a former banker who's built successful banking teams internally, you have now come from hiring a couple of outsourced consultants to building a real company here. You know, if anyone has claimed to be the next lithium major, certainly focused on the United States, service in the United States, you know, it, it, it's Piedmont. Well, so thanks for all that. So listen, uh, whether we're ever a lithium major or not, we're very focused on building a business that will be resilient and, and will be profitable and will drive value for shareholders. And we like our strategy, as I, as I think, you know, Howard, our strategy is we want to be one of the, if not the biggest producers of lithium hydroxide in North America all from spodumene concentrate that we own. We want to capture all those economics. Uh, we've had that strategy for some time. Others like Albemarle have other businesses and, and you know, obviously world-class assets in other parts of the world that they've been focused on. So uh, for them to have been focused on that for the last several years, I think makes, makes sense. The world's changed. The US is now the fastest growing EV market. Uh, it's going to be a very big market. You're going to see a lot of EV production, battery production, cathode 
in production here. There won't, there won't ever be enough lithium production here. So anyone who can do it is going to be in a really favored position. So we're excited about our position. I'm sure they're excited about theirs, Livent and others who, who kind of may advance. But fundamentally, it's all about the people and the team and being able to execute. And we started with really one or two employees five and a half years ago when I joined. We're, we're now 45 or six. We'll have 65 or 70. We're building the requisite teams that you need to function as an American company, the proper finance and internal controls and reporting staff, legal staff, et cetera. Uh, but we're also very much building the technical team. And that is one of the biggest challenges in this industry. It's going to take decades. It's going to take decades to build a lithium industry with with real broad talent around the world. It's going to take years and years to get teams right at individual companies. There's nowhere in the world better to do it than North Carolina. Uh, nowhere in the English speaking world, at least. You know, lithium had its origins in North Carolina. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of experienced people who either work at Albemarle or LiveVent or used to uh, who know this business, whether they worked in North Carolina or Australia or Chile or Argentina. We're, we're building the team. We hired Nick Fouché as our senior VP projects. He's really place to drive these projects forward and make them happen. We're in the market now for somebody to run our chemicals operations. We hope to have an appointment here in the next several weeks. And we're building out teams on the mining side, chemical plant side, construction operations. And we have a couple dozen strong, really high quality technical people now. We're building a real capability that'll just grow day, you know, day by day, week by week, week, month by month. And that's something we can export. You know, that's something if someone's going to build a conversion capacity in Quebec, you know, right now, the only people doing that are an American company, Livent. We could be one of those companies doing that as well in Quebec, because otherwise it's going to be hard to do. They don't have a history of producing lithium chemicals up there. They don't have as big a chemical industry up there. So uh, building the team and assembling the team is, is critical. Now, there's numerous data points that we're seeing, certainly on the contract side from various guys in the market that have all huddled around $6,000 a ton for spodium and concentrate. And I guess just wanted to get your sense of, you know, maybe how long you think that price level can hold. It's interesting. I'm, I'm very interested in the perspectives of different people on the lithium price outlook. I think as a general matter, you know, there are highly informed individuals like you two of you and, and Rodney, the work you do on supply demand, I think is very thoughtful. I think the work Matt Fernley does in London is very thoughtful. I think some of the work Joe Lowry does is very thoughtful. Benchmark Minerals would... Folks like that who are spending all their time focused on this space, as a general matter, I think they have a better view on what's actually going to happen over the next several years than people who are on the sell side in big investment banks who are busy doing a lot of other things. You know, they're often covering gold companies or chemical companies or oil and gas companies. They don't have time to really dig in asset by asset and build supply demand models. So there's they're bright people, they're at great institutions, but as a general matter, they don't have the time to invest. And I think the quality of the work sometimes shows and it varies greatly. I've never seen a commodity, if you want to call lithium a commodity, where there's a bigger divergence of opinion as to where prices might be next year, like in 2024. I think the investors who have been looking at the business for a long time see this as a real opportunity. I think others for whom this is a new high growth, fast area they need to learn about, it's just hard to develop confidence. I've got, that'll change. I'm in the Albemarle camp based on you know what they put out uh, a day or two ago where it's not necessarily they're projecting the prices will stay flat. They're assuming prices will stay flat for the next several years. I think that's a reasonable safe assumption. Uh, I, I could make an argument for why prices should go up. Just about every supply demand model shows bigger deficits in five years than today. If that's the case, prices should be higher, not lower. That's just simple economics. 
I'm always mystified when I see sell-side analysts with 2030 projections of huge deficits, but prices returning to historical norms. That can't happen. Those two things both can't happen at the same time. So time will tell, but I think I, I give Albemarle credit for the way they approached it, that you know they're assuming prices will stay at these levels. Again, the supply-demand problem is going to get bigger and bigger. It'll solve itself eventually, but I think eventually is the 2040s. It's not 2025 or six or seven. I think it's the 2040s because the discoveries you're reading about today, the exciting drill holes in Quebec or over here or over there, those are those assets will not be producing in 2025 or six. They're just, just not going to happen. Inconceivable. So they're going to be, in most cases, at least a decade away, uh, just going through the permitting process, going through all the processes they'll have to go through. The engineering, the geology, the metallurgy, et cetera, just the funding will take a long time. And that'll be the big constraint on this business. Uh, EV demand is, is way ahead of what almost anyone projected. Every EV needs a battery. Every battery needs lithium. Lithium supply is going to struggle to keep up for the next at least 10 years, in my view, and probably longer. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting one because Albemarle has as good a seat at the table as anyone in terms of interacting with the largest battery and, and OEMs. So they should have a fantastic idea of where you know, demand is going. So I just, it's odd that you have analysts at odds with that when, you know, the biggest company in the world is telling you what their customers are telling them. But um, I think, Rodney, I think it'll take care of itself this year. If prices, if Albemarle is right and prices sort of stabilize around these levels, uh, which in fairness, you know, can provide great profitability for existing producers, but you need really strong prices to incentivize, um, not to incentivize some CEO to go try to build a plant, but to incentivize a funding source to fund it. You really need a good, because there's execution risk, as you know, uh, on the mining side, on the downstream side. And you need a really strong pricing environment if you're a lender uh, to make these deals work if things if things struggle. And uh, I'm bullish. I, for sake of argument, I have my own little trend line of prices that looks a little bit like yours um, for analytical purposes, but I actually think it's conservative uh, for the next yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, again, you know, my, my price chart is hope over experience. Um, and um, because by 2030, you have time to fund and permit and get things into production, I guess, that aren't down now. We'll have to see. But a case in point, Mineral Resources just came out with its um, second quarter of their financial year, which is June, and delays on Mount Marion, which is an operating asset that they were going to expand. And now that's fallen behind. So, uh, I mean, a perfect example of something, Wajana looks to be fine and on track. And I think that's something people need to take very close notice of because that can ramp. But um yeah, Mount listen, Wajna, Wajna will ramp, Mount Marion will ramp, but you know, Mount Marion delayed, Salvavita delayed, um, James Bay delayed, Sigma and Core are six or more months behind their 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 what they were saying six months ago. That's that's just gonna be a steady drip. You're gonna you're gonna hear that on most projects over the next several years. I don't think many of the new discoveries today are producing in 2030, by the way. I don't think that's gonna happen. So the Mount Marion ramp up will happen, green bushes will happen. Tobro will max out, Wajna will max out for sure. That won't be enough. There may be parts of the world where things can happen more quickly. We'll see, but that won't be enough. I agree, but by the 2040s, it'll happen. And there'll be a lot more discoveries made in the next several years. There'll be big discoveries in Quebec and Ontario. Who knows? Maybe the US, Africa, there'll be more. I think, I think, Keith, you might've touched on a very 
important point. Been hearing, you know, some drum banging and what have you about, you know, the futures liquidity picking up, but there's 476 open interest contracts. That's 476 tons <laughs> in open interest on the CME. So before everyone says this thing's going to be commoditized, they need to just get a perspective here on what that represents of annual volume. But I think, you know, your point is, you know, with funders, you don't have the ability to hedge yet. That's going to be difficult. So really what people want is to know what they're working with. What is the number going to be? Um, and, uh, you know, if you said, fine, lithium will be 50 or 60,000, whatever a ton, people would say, okay, and, and start to plan around that or sort of do it. But, you know, everyone wants to second guess it and I find it odd, you know, and it's an interesting leading into a question whether you, you know, you have detailed discussions with OEMs because the reality is the reports that I'm seeing is their profitability and their ability to exist is at threat with lithium prices much above $60,000 a ton, in which case, why aren't you doing anything about it? Yeah, I'm not smart enough to know what the longer term looks like. I think in the shorter term, the bigger problem for the car companies isn't lithium prices. It's ramping their own production. You know, Ford could sell just about as many F-150 Lightnings as they can make. They'll soon, I presume, make a lot more. And, and I don't think those buyers are generally that price sensitive. At some point, that'll change. I think you'll see efficiencies in the EV production process for sure. My impression is that Tesla is a lot lower cost producer of an EV than, than their competitors. They're very competitive today. I think all the car companies will become very competitive relative to ICE cars, uh, internal combustion cars, sort of in due course in the next year or two or three. Tesla's just kind of ahead of the curve. But so I, I really don't think the demand destruction issue is a big issue for the next several years. It could have ultimately be if it's really a question of, you know, feeding the kind of smaller vehicle market and less expensive vehicle market. And there are a diff couple of different solutions. The other thing I'd say is I think, you know, fleet buyers, if you're buying a fleet of buses or taxi cabs or garbage trucks, it's pretty easy to do the total cost of ownership analysis. And the benefit of EVs is so dramatic from a TCO perspective. I've had my Tesla four and a half years. My maintenance budget has been $56 total. That's a cabin air filter and uh, a tire rotation. That's all I've ever had to do. There are no oil changes, none of this, none of that. I probably save a thousand or 2000 bucks a year on fuel, uh, just massive savings. And again, that car costs less to buy than my the equivalent internal combustion car. So the economics are massively favorable. Higher lithium prices don't change that. They impact it, but they don't change the ultimate end game, I don't think. And I think the reality is, I mean, we can wish away high energy, high lithium prices, but unless all the car companies buy all the lithium mines, um, then you know, you're going to have a market of lithium producers who are going to sell to whoever doesn't own one, and, and they're going to sell it, I think, pretty high prices for some time. I don't think anybody on uh, this call is uh, wishing away high lithium prices. We uh, have bet our career positioning investment-wise on the stronger for longer. I do not believe that these very, very high prices are at all priced into Piedmont stock. They might be priced into some other stocks on our scoreboard, but the point you made, we've made it as well. There's a very wide disparity of views and that creates velocity and it creates a lot of fun, you know, opportunities. Look at RK Equity scoreboard. There's a hundred companies there and, you know, hiding in plain vanilla site, PLL, right? You know, Rodney thinks it's worth, could be worth, you know, 180, 190 bucks. That's a triple from here. That would make you a $3 billion company. That would only put you on six times 
EBITDA, you know, in 2024, based on just 100,000 tons times $6,000 a ton spodumene, and, and you're buying it for $900. Prices are higher. You know, you've got to deliver that, but that's certainly de-risked. Permitted in construction, very much kind of in sight. So again, not financial advice. This is probably my biggest, you know, personal position in Piedmont. It has been for some time. We are an advisor to the company, but uh, and Howard, you know. just to, I, I, and I appreciate those comments. Just to amplify, I think as as we think about the value of our Quebec investment, which we're very excited about, and we think has great value, we think our Atlantic investment is at least equivalent value. With we, within Quebec, we're going to get one hundred thirteen thousand tons a year. Out of Ghana, we'll get. And we'll pay $900 for that. In Ghana, we'll get more tons at a lower cost. So it'll probably come a year behind, a year or two behind in terms of the timeline. But that's another massive generator of economic value, I think. And between the two of them, if you imagine us getting 113,000 tons in Quebec, 127,500 in Ghana at an average cost of five or $600, that's a very valuable business. And it's, we certainly aren't, wouldn't, at 3 billion, we certainly would be a lot lower than six times EBITDA of that. And, and then we've right, right, right. yeah, yeah, it would be a billion of EBITDA and Rodney right rightly in, in his analysis um, and the note we'll put this up on which is on our website that's the the most simple way to do it just you know North American lithium and Atlantic potentially a billion dollars of EBITDA the reason I'm focusing so much on the North American lithium is because as you said the market is somewhat not fully understanding because you're complicated to model because you have multiple projects and historically it was all about Carolina but in part the purpose of this video and other marketing you're about to have 36 meetings in everyone in Australia this is very much a keep it simple stupid spodumene, even before you get into the qualifying hydroxide and all the money that you need to put into, you know, those plants, just in Atlantic and just in, you know, North American lithium, you have very de-risk advanced projects that are well understood by Australian investors in particular, who have seen many spodumene success stories. And so with that, you know, we're banging the drum on Piedmont. You know, that was the title of, you know, our last video. I, I, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. And I'm confident we'll see these higher highs, the higher love of $88, you know, in the not too distant future. Your stock is uh, touching, you know, $70 today. So we'll see what happens. Every day is different. Someone could knock you back $10 or $20. It's just happened two months ago. It's great volatility. You do have options and, you know, put and call options are available on Piedmont stock uh, in the same way that they're available on lag stock. You know, you as a fully listed U.S. company, you're also in the Russell 3000, I think even the 2000 index. So the trading dynamic in Piedmont stock is a bit different than some other stocks because of being fully American domiciled, you're in different types of indexes, not just, you know, ETF, you know, lithium or battery ETFs, et cetera. But anyway, thank you very much for this very detailed insight into all of that is Piedmont. It's been more than a year since we've had you on and look forward to the upcoming catalyst to, to realize appropriate value. Really appreciate the time. I appreciate the support over time. And and from our perspective, 2023 is all about execution. We're hoping things go well and, and shareholders can benefit. 